Access is the Young Adults Ministry of Resurrection Life Church. We hope you enjoy this week's guest speaker. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be here. I think it's really interesting that I'm coming in right as Pastor Kurt, which that was a good series, right as he's wrapping up this series, uh, Stand Your Ground. And one thing that my wife, Rachel, my wife Rachel sitting right there, she's the beautiful woman in the third row, she's taken, we've been married for over six years, so just stay back, I'll hurt you. Uh, <laughs> we've been realizing the importance of, of the word of God and, and standing on it and learning how to do that because sometimes, sometimes you can just roll through life, right? Just things come and things go. But we've actually really been thinking and focusing ourselves on the importance of the word of God and, and how, we, how we can apply it to our lives. And one of the things that we tend to do, we don't do it all the time, but, but one of the things that we do every once in a while is we won't read together, but we'll read the same parts of the Bible at the same time. So we started recently, what this looks like is we started reading the book of Genesis, and we'll just read through it. And what happens is often conversations come up. And one of the things we've realized lately is some people, when you read their story in the Bible, you can read it and you have a thought of, man, I can understand why God would use them because they seem like they have it all together. I don't know how much time you guys spend in the Bible, but if you've ever read through the book of Daniel, there's a couple guys in there where you read their story and you're like, man, I understand. You read Daniel's story and you're like, man, the dude had it all together. He knew when to pray. He stood on, on God's faithfulness and he, he did the, the things that seemed impossible like going into a lion's den and then coming out and you think, man, that person has it all together. And you read stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you think they had it all together. They, they, they believed God and they, stand, they stood strong and, and they just stayed with God even through a fire furnace. And there's some characters of the Bible that you read and you're like, man, they've got it all together. They seem like they've got it and you can understand, man, I know why God used them. But then some characters of the Bible you read and you think, really? God chose to use them? Because they seem a little messed up. And as we've been reading, as we've been reading in the book of Genesis, I don't know if you guys have ever read the book of Genesis from beginning to end. It's really interesting because it's kind of full of a lot of junk. There's things from incest, murder, greed, lying, deception, all this stuff. And one of the characters that we've read about and started a conversation about recently is Abraham. If I went and asked you, Tell me about Abraham. Most of you would think he's got it all together. But if you actually read his story, he was kind of messed up. And he was, there was deception in his family. One, of the, one example of this is in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt. He wasn't called, he just went. It said, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to, his, to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. By the way, she's probably about 65 years old at this point, so that's kind of crazy. Uh, it says, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me. So you can see he's, he's got fear, right? Then they'll kill me. They're worried they, that the Egyptians are going to, he's worried that the Egyptians are going to kill him. It says, then they will kill me, 
but they will not, but they will let you live. So then he comes up with this brilliant idea. You ready for this brilliant idea? Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the uh, saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of the Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to the Pharaoh's house. This is messed up. He just let his wife be taken to the Pharaoh's house because the Pharaoh was interested in her. I mean, this is just crazy. You think when you hear Abraham, you think, man, he's got it all together. But he had some issues. It says, when he entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was beautiful, so they took her to Pharaoh's house. And it says, and for her sake, he, that's Pharaoh, dealt well with Abraham. And he gave sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. It says, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham, or Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I think it's very interesting that Abram dealt with fear. He dealt with fear. He had a tendency towards fear. He operated out of fear. We know that God does not give a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Well, Abram had a spirit of fear on him at this point. He was afraid, so he acted out of his fear. He had a tendency towards fear. If you look up, if you look up the definition of tendency in the Bible, it says an inclination toward a particular characteristic or type of behavior. Synonyms. I like synonyms, so I looked up synonyms. Propensity predisposition. He had a predisposition towards fear, a leaning, or this is my favorite one, a bent. He had a bent towards being afraid. Today, I want to talk to you guys about being bent. If you would, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. And right now, Father, we ask you that you would open up our minds so that we can hear your words. Father, that you would open up our hearts so that we can understand. Father, we are here wanting to grow closer to you. Father, we ask you to reveal to us bends that could be present in our life. Father, we just love you and we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, I was defining bend for me just to kind of get my mind around this thought and Defining bend, I just said it's an inclination towards a particular characteristic like tendency, but, it, but it's things that we, either we or our families let become norms in our life. And all of us have these. All of us have things that we allow to become a norm in our life. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when we're looking at, at things that kind of find their way into our lives, Really, there's two main sources that this can come from. The first one is generational. Things can pass from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. The other source that a bend can come from is when we experience something. 
So when we look at generational, we can, we can look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. It's talking about, it's talking about serving idols or worshiping idols, but it's very interesting. God makes a comment, and this is what God says. He says that, he says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, talking about idols, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And this is what he says. This is what I want us to catch right here. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children to the third and the fourth generation. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children to the third and the fourth generation. That word iniquity, uh, we would pronounce the word avon. Have you guys ever seen that word avon? Makeup, stuff like that, you know. I don't know why they did that, but it's, it's iniquity. Might make some of you probably put your stuff away. I don't know. Anyways, uh, it's pronounced avon, avon. And, it, and it's that word uh, iniquity. And when you look it up, it literally means fault or results of iniquity or sin. And it, th- it doesn't mean that if my dad goes out and makes a mistake that I'm going to pay the penalties for it. More what it means is what my dad allows to enter his life has a tendency to want to enter my life. And then the things that enter my life or I allow to enter my life have a tendency to want to enter my children's life. I've got a son and a daughter, Jaden and Josephine. So, so there's, there's a tendency... For those things to follow a generational path. A really good example of this um, is in Genesis chapter 21, we can find the story of Isaac, who is Abraham's promised son. So this is the son of the guy we were just reading about. This is his son. And this is what it says in the first verse. It says, now there was a famine in the land. So you got the same setup, right? You got the same thing going on. You've got it where Abraham experienced a famine, so he went away to a different land. And now you've got his son experiencing a famine and running away to a different land. If you skip down to verses 6, it starts and it says, So Isaac settled in Gerar, where the men men of the place asked him about his wife. He said, get this, this is his answer. It's like he was there, but he wasn't there when his dad said this. This is what he said. She is my sister. Well, why did he say that? For he feared, interesting, for he feared to say my wife because he thought he was thinking with his natural mind. And he said, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there for a long time. So, so imagine this is a thing that has been controlling his actions, this fear has been controlling his actions for a long time. It's not just a one-day thing. It says when he had been there for a long time. So when he had been there for a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac told him, because I thought lest I die, uh, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall 
surely be put to death. But what I want you to see is this. We think of Abraham and we kind of put him up on a pedestal. I mean, this is like the man that kind of started it all. This is where the blessing of Israel started. And we kind of put him up on a pedestal. But when you actually look at his story, you could see that, that he kind of operated out of fear to the point where he let someone take his wife. Now, thank the Lord that it didn't continue, but it passed down to the next generation. Do you see that? It passed down to the next generation. And what can tend to happen is these things can pass from generation to generation. You guys have seen this. You've seen characteristics inside of a family travel, whether they're good or bad. Uh, How many of you guys have ever seen Someone that's good at a sport, their child's good at that sport, and then their child's good at that sport, and then their child. Or you have, you have like the Mannings in football where they, it, it's through the generations. You can see it in sports, but you can also see it in other things. If you look at my family, if I could take, and it would take way too long, but if I could, if I could draw a picture of my family, you, I could show you things that run through my family. The other day I was talking to my wife just about this, and I'm like, we kind of tend to know it all. And she's like, no, not you guys. You know, it's like, yeah, I know. I've got to work on that a little bit. But, but in my family, there's kind of like, we think when we're right, we're right. And everyone else is wrong, even if we're the only one that thinks that everybody else is wrong, you know. Uh, another thing that's run through my family uh, is divorce. You can look on, my, on both sides, my mom and my dad's side of the family, there's divorce running through the family. The interesting thing is when my wife and I were doing our pre-marriage counseling, uh, my friend's dad, was, uh, who's a pastor, walked us through pre-marriage counseling. And he said, Tim, because divorce is in your family, you're going to have to make a stand against that. And I didn't really understand it fully. I mean, I kind of had an idea. But it's so true that things run through families. So my wife and I, we make a stand against that in the name of Jesus Christ. Another thing that could travel through a family how about anger? I mean, you can either say it's nature or it's nurture. I don't really care what you think it is. What I want you to see is that things tend to walk through families generationally. And if we're not careful, the things that are in our family can get into us. Anger is something that I have to watch out. Because it's really easy for me to want to control things. Another thing in my family, if I'm just being real, is alcohol. Alcoholism. There's a long strain of alcoholism in my family to the point where, where like, licenses getting taken away, people having sickness, sicknesses because of this alcoholism and this tendency towards drinking heavily. And this just kind of can run through my family. All, it's, it's not because I'm making choices as much as it's present in the environment that I'm growing up. I don't, I'm not trying to say whether it's nurture or nature. I'm just trying to say it's there. And just like Abraham and Isaac had this thing run through their family, my family's got stuff in it too. The other way that, that bends or being bent can enter into our life is through personal experience. How many of you guys have ever... Uh, eating Pringles. What's the slogan, right? Once you pop, you just can't stop. It's true. Once something enters our life one time, it's easier for it to enter our life a second time. 
And the next time after that, it's even easier. And the next time after that, it's even easier. For me, it's chocolate. I don't know about you. Whew. And everyone said, amen. Hmm. The, the best illustration for this the best illustration for this is cardboard. Uh, this, this is a piece of corrugated cardboard, which basically means it's two pieces of, I don't even know what that material is. Uh, but anyways, it's got these little waves in it. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen cardboard. Uh, anyways, um, cardboard, cardboard, cardboard's rigid. You can use cardboard for amazing things. So you want to know what I got for my illustration? Chocolate, because it makes sense. Uh, Cardboard, cardboard's pretty strong stuff. I mean, it can hold it. I've seen people make sleds out of cardboard. Like, they do this whole, like, cardboard sled building contest. I don't know. You guys are probably participating. Anyways, it's a pretty, <laughs> whatever. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty rigid thing, right? It can hold some weight. I mean, I don't know exact weight of this. Hold up. Six ounces, so it's not, like, 50 pounds. But it's pretty close to it. But this cardboard can hold it. It can hold it pretty well. But what I want to do is I want to show you something. What happens if I bend this cardboard? Once it's bent, it loses all of its strength in that direction. If if it gets bent in the way of, if your name's Tim, if it gets bent in the way of eating chocolate... It won't hold. I could try this all day long, and it won't hold it. Here's a really interesting just, like, side note. Watch this. I'm going to flip the cardboard over so you guys see how the bend is going up. So it's in a different direction than gravity. Watch this. It will still hold the weight in a different direction. So, So the question is, what does this mean to us? When I was about 10 years old, I had, I have two older brothers, and they, through them, I'm not going to blame it specifically on them, but through actions that they made, and through some things that happened in my life, I got introduced to pornography. The first time I got introduced to pornography, it was really awkward and hard to do. What do you think about the second time? It wasn't so hard. And just like cardboard, every time I made a decision to experience that again, it was easier and easier to bend. And what happened is, because I let that come into my life, I lost my strength in that area. Now, you could look at me, and I still had strength in other areas. I could still hold the weight if I flipped over the cardboard. But when it came to that, it was easier and easier and easier. And let me tell you what happened. For over 10 years, I found myself, when I was hurt and alone and lost, that the direction that I would go was in the way of that bend because I was bent towards it. Because I had allowed it to enter my life. 
Romans 7, verse 17 says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It is no longer I who do it, or it's no longer I who have a tendency towards sinning or falling or pornography or alcoholism or whatever it is, but it's the sin that dwells in me. When you look up that, the, the words of that in a commentary, when you look up the word sin, it's my corrupt passions and native propensities. When you look up the word that dwell, the, the phrase that dwells in me, it's dwelling in me as its home. That is a strong expression denoting that sin has taken up its inhabitation in my mind. It lives there. It's kind of this expression that because I let it into my life one time, it sits there and sits there. And I love the, the way that this describes it because it goes on to say that it had not yet wholly dislodged. It has not been ripped out all the way. It hasn't been taken out of me. So I do these things not because I necessarily want to, but I do these things because I have a predisposition to it, because I have a tendency toward it, or because I have a bent towards it, because I've let them come into my life. Therefore, it's easier for it to come in again and again and again. And all of us have things that we've let come into our life. All of us have things that we have experienced that have become a bend in our life. I remember when I came to the realization one day that I had an issue with lying. It wasn't like a big thing, but this is what happened. I would lie about everything. I would make up stories. I would exaggerate things so that I would look better. And I let that into my life, and it was a bend towards it. So what happened is eventually I got to the point where I said, if I tell the truth, people aren't going to like who I am. So then I made up this lie that just continued through my life. And it was not wholly dislodged. It was not taken out. Not fully removed. But here's the thing, there is a promise of restoration, a promise of transformation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That, that, that term new creation means never existed before, not found before. It says the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Romans 12, 2. Probably one of my favorite verses and one of the verses that I stand on for almost any decision I make. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you look up the verbiage that's found in that verse, it means don't let the cookie cutter of the world shape what you're like. Instead, let God's word transform you by changing the way that you think. We've got to make sure that we're allowing God to transform us. We have a promise that we can be restored, but more than that, we have a promise that we can be transformed to something that never was 
that never existed before. And here's the thing. Jesus can sympathize with our mistakes. In Luke 4, 13, it says that he was tempted in every way. That doesn't mean that he was tempted in every way except the way that you're going right now. It doesn't mean that he was accept, uh, tempted in every way except, you know, the, the sin that you deal with or the, the, the tendency that you have. No, Jesus was tempted in every way. That means the way that you're, or the thing that you're dealing with, he was tempted in that way. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Several years ago, I went to a Whitecaps game. Now, I know nothing about baseball. That's really sad to admit, but I really don't know that much. Thankfully, when I went to a Whitecaps game, I had a guy sitting next to me that coaches baseball. Guess what I got to do? I got to ask him questions. The entire game. I think I probably watched half the game because I was asking him questions. Hey, why'd they do that? What was that all about? What in the world? You know, I just got to ask him all these questions. How many of you guys know that we have a Savior that's sitting on the right hand of the Father right now, but he's also sitting right next to you, and he's there for you to ask questions to? And not only is he sitting there, he knows everything about what you're going through, because first of all, he experienced it, but second of all, he is God. And he can sympathize with you. So what does this mean? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. What does this mean for us? The Bible describes us as a three-part being. We are Body, soul, spirit. Body, soul, spirit. And when it comes to bends that are in our life, we have to do something with each of those parts of ourselves if we want to be successful. So, if you're talking spiritually, what we got to do spiritually is the first thing we have to do is we have to pray and take authority. You are a spirit being. You are a spirit that lives in a body, and you have a soul. You are a spirit. The first thing you have to do, the first thing that I had to do in my life when I had to deal with that pornography thing that was holding me captive, I love the, the songs that we sang. The first thing I had to do to break that chain is I had to believe that God is who he is, that Jesus is who he is and did what he did. But then I have to pray and I have to take authority through the name of Jesus Christ because I have God living inside of me. The first thing that you have to do in your life is you have to pray and take authority. We are a spirit and the, then the soul, what do we have to do? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to allow the word of God to penetrate deep inside your mind and transform you. Because the word of God is the only thing that's living and active that you have tangibly on this earth that can change the way you think. So you have to allow the word of God to, to penetrate deep inside of you. And the Bible says, take captive every thought. You have to take captive those thoughts. Don't let them dwell in your head. Take captive and get rid of them. So we pray, we take authority, we read the Bible, let it penetrate into us and take captive every thought. And then 
Here you go. Physically, you want to know what you have to do? You have to set up some boundaries. In my family, alcoholism is huge. I have made a decision that I will not participate in alcohol because I don't want to reap the benefits of alcoholism that's in my family. So I've made a decision. Now this is not some super spiritual thing. I'm not saying you can't drink, but I'm saying I don't drink because I've seen what it did to my family. And I don't know the clinical proof of if alcoholism goes with cancer, but I could tell you that alcoholism is present and cancer is present in my family. And I've made a decision not to do it. I can't tell you that there's proof that alcoholism and divorce is related, but I've seen alcoholism and divorce in my family and I don't want divorce, so I'm not gonna mess with alcohol. I can't tell you that alcoholism and anger is in in a great relationship, but I could tell you that I've seen alcoholism and I've seen anger in my family and I don't want anger. So I've set up boundaries in my life that I'm not gonna participate with drinking. Not some super spiritual thing. No, this is a practical, I've seen what it's done to my family. So we have to set up some boundaries in our life. If you deal with pornography issues, you really don't need internet. Stop using it, stop using excuses like I need internet to be able to feed an addiction. I know several people, I know people that are sitting in this room that have chosen to put restrictions on their internet so that they can be held accountable and not have to deal with stuff in their life. Let's set up some practical boundaries. We don't have to let this stuff be present in our lives. Would you guys stand up with me? I wanna go into a time of ministry. And this is what this is gonna look like. God is a good God, right? Hold up, God is a good God, right? And God is here, right? And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I think God wants to do some things in here tonight. I don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know all the things I'm dealing with, but we're all dealing with stuff. And we all need to continually go to God and say, God, what's going on? And I wanted to just add this. I've made decisions in my life for lots of reasons. I wanna wanna be a good man. I wanna see God, but I wanna be a good husband to my wife. And I wanna be a good dad to my kids. And sometimes you need multiple reasons to do things that are really hard, right? Let me tell you this. If you're a guy in here, do it for your future wife or the wife you have right now. If you're a girl in here, do it for your future husband or the husband you have right now. And all of you, if you get married, you might have kids, I don't know, do it for them. Because the things you do today, right now, are gonna affect tomorrow and next week and next year. So we're gonna go into this time and I just wanna spend time with God. I just wanna realize that Jesus is a good God, that he came to the earth and he lived a perfect life and went up on a cross and he did it for you. So if you would, let's bow our heads. We're gonna enter with just praying. 
And then the worship team is gonna lead us in some worship. Father, we just thank you that you are a good God. Father, you know everything that we're going through. You know everything that's going on in our hearts. You know everything that's going on in our minds. You know the things that we deal with each and every day. Holy Spirit, you are the God that dwells inside of us and has a personal relationship with us. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, we ask you right now to, to, to fill this place with your presence so that we can recognize it so tangibly, so that we can be set free when you speak words of encouragement and words of life to us. So, Father, as we go into this time of worship, we ask that you would do the things that only you can do. Father, we just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to join us live, we meet every Thursday night at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Res Life in Granville, Michigan. Or you can watch us online at reslife.org slash live. You can also keep in touch with the Access Ministry on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Access RLC.